time's a is a mystery when you're younger because you think you have so much of it and then you don't realize the value of it i think until you're older and it's the one thing you can't get more of Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and have clarity out of confusion. Because of this, founders can have the life they deserve. Clarity is what I'm really all about, and this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and even more hard work, to a European Ivy League business graduate and an expert on seven different psychological therapies with a great corporate job. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. On this podcast, I'm privileged and honored to interview hundreds of amazing people from members of the Forbes Technology Council, Google Executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn, C-suite executives, to Fortune 100, to Financial Times reporters and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, even from the Vatican Church, congressional candidates and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world. All are welcome here. And thank you all so much for the support. After all this hard work, this podcast is now ranking highly on Apple in the entrepreneurship category, top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 100 in Singapore, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in Canada, top 50 in the United Kingdom, and top in many other places. This podcast is really about having clarity conversations which is what I am known for. Clarity of where you are now, clarity on the right next step to take, clarity out of confusion and hesitation, and clarity of marketing whenever the need may need it. So let's begin. My guest today is John Werner from University of Louisiana at Lafayette to IBM, then Adidas, to being behind 60-plus Patents to founding two startups. Jean is the CEO at Koya Innovations Inc. and the father of three daughters, growing stronger and stronger in a marriage of 36 years. Jean, how are you today? <laughs> I'm, I'm fantastic today. Thank you so much for this, uh, this opportunity uh, to, to talk to you. We will have a lot of fun. And this is the question that I want to begin by asking you. And it's simply this, how do you recognize business opportunities? 
typically when I'm trying to do something that frustrates me uh, or I immediately can see a better way to do something, I then start thinking of, of how to solve that problem uh, and if I can uh, make money doing it. Uh, so if it's just me that it's going to help, that's fine. And I'll, I'll hack and do things just to make it work for me. But if I talk to somebody else about it and they say, well, I have the same problem, then I might start exploring how many other folks that might affect. And uh, then it bumps up in the priority queue as to whether I want to go after that, that business opportunity or not. I like what you're saying. And then to make sure. So you realize that it's something that frustrates you and then you think can i make money out of this and you begin asking people if there are other people who share that pain you explore it further correct correct how did this way of thinking come to be did you train yourself to think this way did you do something in your life that in many ways made you have the instinct of having this way of thinking or any specific process for thinking whenever you get a frustration or a pain? Or how did it develop? I think it was mostly developed uh, when I was growing up. Uh, I was very encouraged by my folks, my parents, that I could I could do anything. I was given opportunities to uh, to work on things with my hands. And uh, rebuilding, it started off simple, uh, Legos and, and other things, but it graduated uh, in high school into taking apart cars and engines and putting them back together. Uh, and it kept instilling in me the ability to, to be able to look at anything and dissect it, take it apart and putting it back together uh, just gave me the confidence that I could do that with anything else. So it wasn't just cars, it then became locks and, and just any kind of mechanical thing uh, that I put my mind to. I could, in my mind, even take it apart and fix it or do something different. Uh, so it, to answer your question, I think it was more natural, uh, but it was only because I was encouraged and I got my hands dirty and I realized I had the confidence. Uh, I don't look at something and say, I can't do that. I look at something and I say, well, how, how can I do that? Uh, and, and that is a mindset. Uh, I'm a lot more positive in terms of my outlook on things. So I, I typically always will say yes to something versus no. Uh, some people are a little bit different about that, but most of the time it's always, I can, I can do it unless, unless I'm proven I can't. That's probably the best way to look at it. I love that. And I have actually two questions about it, but I'll make sure I heard you correctly. So your parents always encouraged you to do anything you want, that you can do anything, be anything you wish to be, create anything you wish to create. And they gave you tons of Legos. So <laughs> you played yeah. with them a lot. And then at some point, uh, and you were... Uh, working with cars and doing the same thing you did with Legos and then later locks and life and anything that you're doing, even similar to the process that Nikola Tesla does, which is thinking in your head of how to pull it apart and uh, understand it and analyze it and put it back together. 
and you have this optimistic outlook about life where you don't think I can do it. You think, how can I do it? And you expect to be able to do it. Is this right? That's correct. I mean, it's as you were saying that, I have to laugh because I'll, I don't know how some people put themselves to sleep, but I, uh, uh, I go to sleep thinking of a problem and, uh, and I will walk through in my mind how to solve it until I fall asleep. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm actually putting myself in the situation and, uh, and whether it's, it's a, it's an experience that's on a phone or in, or something I'm doing around the house. I put myself in that situation in my mind and I, and I go through the steps <laughs> until I fall asleep on how to actually solve or fix something. And sometimes it'll take a week of me doing that with the same problem. And then all of a sudden I'll wake up and I'll know how to solve that. It's like, okay, I, I now have enough information that I've gathered in all these nights of going to sleep and thinking, I think I have a solution. Now I'm ready to take it and put it on the paper and, and share it with others to see if this is something that, uh, that makes that problem go away or it's a better way to do something. Actually, that's so wonderful. Like a lot of the greatest inventions and discoveries happen that way, whether Einstein having a dream or, uh, you know, uh, there are many, many that were like hunches or somebody, they just uh, fall nap and then they get the solution to something that was irritating them or they were working on for a long time. And to make sure, because, you know, some people are motivated by negatives, others by positives. What does it give you this ability or this time spent imagining putting yourself in a situation, going through the steps? Some people might do it because they worry too much and overthink, so they distract themselves in that way. Other people, they're excited about solving, creating. They have pride about it. Identity that is growing in confidence because of it. What does it give you in your own specific situation that if that was taken from you, it will be a big loss of this specific thing? I think the uh, satisfaction of, of solving something, even if it's something trivial, but to me it's not. It might be trivial to other people. And so I don't look at it as an outward an ascent for anybody else to come alongside and say, hey, great job. Uh, John solving that it's all it's primarily for me and my benefit uh, that I can stay sharp and I can uh, solve uh, solve things that I've put before myself uh, and I'll, I'll <laughs> just to show you how real simple this is I like to complete things so I if I if I think of something I want to complete it and I will actually break down different things into smaller tasks, uh, as simple as I can look outside my window and I can see uh, a beautiful yard, but I see, I see some weeds growing in the yard. Now, some people would just let that be, but uh, I see that and I'm like, okay, uh, I can, right now I need to complete something. <laughs> I might be struggling with another task and in order to motivate me, I need to get some completions going, some kind of momentum so I'll go outside and I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick those weeds. And then I've got a completion going and it starts, it, it gives me, it sounds crazy, but it just gives me a little bit of momentum to, the, to then go, okay, now what's the next thing I can now complete? 
And so I kind of use that uh, in all kinds of different areas, but it's, it's having that momentum that's, or getting, getting that going is, is something that uh, I'm always searching for because if that's how people get stuck, at least that's how I get stuck. Uh, You know, having something that I cannot complete almost blocks me from a bunch of other things. So until I can come up with something, I know I can go complete. Uh, even as, as small as making the bed when you get up in the morning, it's a completion, it's a task, it's done. Uh, it sounds silly, but it, it helps me, uh, you know, throughout the day, find these little, little motivation points, uh, to, to spur me on. Actually, it's not, it's not silly at all. There is like a lot of research on productivity and they call it building, uh, psychological readiness, or even some would say it's planned procrastination where, you do something else to get the completions going so that the bigger task or whatever you know, might be stuck at or avoiding, you will be more ready and able to do it like a warm up, you know, <laughs> before hitting the ground running or before an athletic event, etc. So for you, you might be working on something, you want to get some completions going in your day it could be waking up in the morning preparing and making up your bed or looking outside seeing that there is some grass growing uh, some weeds there in the garden you go fix that you feel ah i did something it means i can do more and you go for the bigger task did i hear you correctly that is exactly right uh and i've never actually verbalized that to anybody before but uh, that makes sense in terms of how I, how I prepare and how I try to get that spark going in terms of, uh, going and solving some of the bigger, some of the bigger problems I'm wrestling with. I love it. And you're saying that spark, etc. A lot of research shows that almost universally, there are two kinds of people, people who begin many things, but almost complete nothing. And people who don't really begin many things, but they are good at finishing and completing. I get the sense that maybe at some point in your life, you open too many loops and too many projects and you weren't completing them. So maybe you have put completion as a priority and you build it as a habit and you get it as a way to prove to yourself, okay, I am completing, it means I can complete more. Is this a correct assumption or is it totally wrong? And tell me more about that. How are you great at beginning and at completing or one of them is easier for you or how does it go? I would say is when I was younger, uh, I had a lot more uncompleted things uh, because I felt I had a lot more time to circle back and complete those things. And so now as I'm 35, 36 years into my career, I'm opening up less things and trying to complete more things. So I've kind of gone through a metamorphosis of, of starting a lot of things and not finishing them all to starting fewer things and finishing more of them uh, as, I've, as I've aged. I would say today, I am, I am more of an ideator. I am more of a, of a getting, getting the ball rolling from a high, high order bit from a, a, a 10,000 foot view and diving down just deep enough that I can share my vision and what I'm trying to see with those that can then take it and put the detail around it and make it, make it what it needs to be. So then I could go back and start at 10,000 foot again and think about other things. And so 
I've been blessed to have people around me that can take those things and take them to the next level, uh, you know, go down into the level of detail. I'm not a detail oriented person. Um, I, and I don't really desire to be, uh, I, I would get caught up in too much of the detail and I get bored actually when I'm looking at all the different pixels and things of that nature that they're part of my business. It's not that I don't, and it's not that I don't value a really good, set of details. I, I actually, I enjoy reading other people's uh, details, but uh, when it's me creating, I like to stay a little bit higher uh, in terms of where, where I sit and the, what I can contribute uh, to solving a problem. Thank you. And if I understood you well, so you're more of the strategic kind of person or the ideator. You think about things and you prefer to be in the 10,000 foot or elevated position to see the whole plan, to put the big strokes uh, of like how things should go. And you are lucky because you have people around you who can fill in the details, take care of them. And you're interested in knowing and reading about people's details or tactical way of operating but to you it will be too boring and somewhat suffocating to be lost in those weeds did i understand that correctly you did and as you were talking it reminded me of another uh of something else and that is when when i have handed off something at a ten thousand foot view to people to go do it's great when those things get brought into the marketplace or become products. And I'm excited about that, but I'm actually reminiscing on, on a couple of different projects that I had worked on that I thought were going to be ground shaking. Uh, and, uh, the folks that were going to take the detail and create the detail around that, uh, at different companies, uh, it just didn't, it fell through because, and it's one of the flaws of this kind of economy is if I don't stay leading that charge from a 10,000 foot view, I can't, I can't just hand it over and walk away. Uh, and in those cases where I hand it over and walk away and expect something to happen, uh, it typically doesn't. Uh, I still need to steward that opportunity uh, through its completion, or it's just a task for them to do. It's not a passion. It's not a, they don't see the complete in game or the picture that I had in my mind of what this could do. And so when you sometimes when I can't articulate what that is, uh, I just know it's the right thing to do. I still have the drive and the passion at the 10,000 foot level, but the translation into those that are actually going to build that or create that, uh, they're missing a critical piece of the puzzle, uh, which, uh, uninterpreted can, you know, lead to that not, not ever being realized. Thank you. And I'm not really sure that missing piece, do you mean they don't have intrinsic motivation? They're doing it for a paycheck and therefore they are doing what they need to do or what they can in order to be good enough rather than going above and or and beyond or that the vision in your head is so vivid so great so captivating but your communication of it is good but it doesn't reach that level level that almost contaminates them with your passion in a way that will drive them is it 
which one did you mean? I think it, everybody wants to, at least when I was, you know, moving up through my career, you want to have ownership for things and you want to be able to not just do what you're not just do what you're told, but also be creative and not be put inside of a box. And I think it's more of the, Hey, John, you just gave me a box and, uh, I want to, I want to work outside the box, but I don't know how far I can go outside that box. I don't know if it's going to be part of what your, what your vision was. And, oh, by the way, John's no longer, uh, leading the charge on this. So I've got, I've got to take this and move it to the next level. And I really don't, it wasn't my Genesis. It wasn't something I created. Uh, and there's other things that I can have more of a role in the creativity process. So I think a natural progression, if you have multiple things you be, you could be working on, you could work on what somebody gave you, or you can work on something that you help contribute to. I think you're more likely to work on the things that you contributed to because it's just more rewarding. Um, and I think it's more of that case. I understand and absolutely true. And I noticed something. You spoke about the change in your uh, relationship with time. You said when you were much younger, you opened more uh, projects, you started more things because you thought you will have more time. But now 35 or 36 years into your career, you want to open or begin less things and close more. How did your relationship with time evolve and change and what is your relationship with time right now? And if you could communicate it in a way that you believe you should have told yourself 35 years ago, what would you say about time, its value, and your relationship with it, or the way it should be? Hmm. Yeah, time is a, time's a, is a mystery when you're younger because you think you have so much of it. And then you don't realize the value of it, I think, some people do. I didn't until you're older. And it's the one thing you can't get more of. And uh, I made a shift in my uh, in my thinking from striving and 16, 20 hour days uh, and really pushing myself to considering more of a holistic approach to work where I didn't really think of work as work. I shifted my mindset from from work being more of more of an opportunity to use my mind and be and have fun and engaging with others. And when I made that shift, the time component became a little bit more important in terms of my time I could spend with people that would add value uh, and allow us to collaborate because collaboration is also key to and, and essential to creating things. It's early days uh, was more of a not invented here. I I, re- I don't know if I got that from some of my company uh, culture, but I had to break out of that into the collaborative culture. And uh, it's it's always better to be able to communicate or collaborate with others. And that time though became valuable because when you have more than one person involved scheduling time between other people becomes more difficult and it's more intentional and it's that segment uh, that half hour where you can get everybody in the room to collaborate together uh, you start to really value that those 30 minutes 
uh, and and all of a sudden meetings don't feel like meetings any longer. They are <laughs> there are these fantastic sessions where ideas are being shared, and it's it, I'm probably not articulating this very well, but when I made that shift away from work to collaboration and creation, uh, the timing part of it became more important primarily because it involved more than one person. Thank you. And I want to return to this and ask more about it. But I noticed you said you shifted one of the things that or definitions of work or shifts from work to using your mind. And way earlier, you said to keep my mind sharp. So why is it important for you to keep your mind sharp? What happens to it if you don't use it? What is or the problem with that or the fear or the issue? And why is it important for you to keep your mind sharp? Well, I've, I've got my parents are in their 80s and they have been uh, doing crossword puzzles and Sudoku and other mind related uh, word and number numeric games for as long as I can remember. And their minds are both extremely sharp in their 80s. And uh, I want to have that same longevity of thought and clarity when I'm when I'm there when I'm their age. And uh, I also think that it goes back to this notion that we already talked about is being able to complete. So if I do get stuck and there's no weeds to pull and there's no bed to make, I can fall back to even a word game or something that's going to, that I know is going to be challenging and that I can get through as another way to, to kickstart uh, my, you know, my uh, journey on in terms of solving some problems. So it goes back to, it all plays together in terms of staying sharp. Cause when I'm sharp, if my mind is ready to think uh, and, and I don't think I don't wake up that way, I wake up and I've got to get some coffee and some other things going, but uh, once my brain is engaged, I want to be able to take advantage of it. And I want to, I want to do whatever I need to do to jumpstart that into that mode and then ride it as long as I can, because I'll get, I'll get tired. Uh, other things will get in the way and, I'll lose that that sharpness uh, that I really like because I'm able to make some really interesting inferences and things that might take longer if my mind is not as sharp. So the sharpness actually helps compress ideation and solutions uh, versus not being as sharp and then it takes longer. And when something takes longer for me, I'm less likely to stay on that task. I'll move on to something else. So uh, I have a I have a balancing act that's probably going on, and I, it's it's happening uh, without me even realizing it. Uh, where I'm just trying to to keep keep the right balance and keep the right motivation and energy going uh, to solve whatever tasks I have in front of me. I love what you're saying, and I, if I heard you correctly. Your mind is all, uh, not always sharp. So when you wake up in the morning, uh, you need coffee or whatever to get it into that mode. And if you get distracted or things come up, you cannot stay in it. And if your mind is sharp, you make inferences 
you really are able to connect things, to solve problems, to ideate in a way that is much faster, much more enjoyable is the way that you want to be. And like you mentioned previously, the enemy is boredom, where if it's taken too long, it's slow, your mind isn't sharp, you will need much longer to do the same work and therefore you might get distracted or bored and move on to something else and never create that thing that will make a difference in the world to you, to people, to the problem and show you that you are able to do anything and to create in this world. Did I understand correctly? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> That's uh, very insightful. I mean, it's I'm almost like laying on a couch with a psychologist right now because I'm, I'm opening up to things that I've really never articulated or spoken about before other than it's probably it's probably has always been there. I just haven't put the pieces together like you're able to draw out right now. Thank you. And also, I'm a high empath, so I can feel where in your words there is like more emotion than others. So thank you. That's like where the questions come from if anything. And you said this is an insight. How does this relate to collaboration? Because I remember you said work moved from work to creativity or creation and collaboration. I can see the creation in this. How does this sharp mind or not getting bored and moving on to something else or whatever relate to collaboration? It's actually a simple answer for me, and that is uh, the more people you have around you collaborating on a problem, the less likely uh, one of, one or more of you are in a non-creative mode. So there's a an effect that when somebody is being very creative in your group, it tends to rub off on other people to also be at that same level. And without you having to have come up with something, you're able to basically ride the coattails of somebody else's creativity and that just gets you thinking and it gets at least it works for me that way i'm able to be affected by the creativity of others in a way that spurs me on to be as creative as they are and it raises the bar in terms of where i want to be and how i want to participate uh, and the ability to take advantage of that amount of time that we have together collaborating uh, becomes that much more valuable. And just as recent as I guess it was the winter, I was working on a project with somebody in Australia and uh, it's a big time difference between Austin and, and Australia. And uh, he, he would come in on the morning of the next day and I'd be talking to him in the evening of the day, the prior day. And yet my day was already eclipsing and his day was just starting. His energy, though, because it was a new day for him, spurred me on to extend my ability to think and be creative. And it really helped. I, I enjoyed it because my, my, my typical cycle left uh, uncollaborating with anyone would have been starting to go into rest mode. Uh, but this allowed me to extend that. Uh, and it was, it was very powerful. And I, it was, it was so, so stark of a difference when I didn't have those conversations about what I would be doing without collaborating 
and what I'd be doing with my mind uh, versus when I was engaged with him and coming up with some really cool uh, you, you know, UX, UI design uh, made, made all the difference in the world for me. I really, really love this. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing that there are about three things that you have a cycle to your day where most of the day is not in that sharp mind mode, but you like it, you love it, it's helpful, it's productive, it's amazing. So you try to get to it. If I understood you correctly, you try to have the spark. So all these are ways to spark that mode, whether it's by having completions in your day, which can put you in that mode of completion and therefore you're more productive, or having coffee or whatever it is in the morning in order to get that sharp mind and maybe protect yourself from distractions. Or whenever you're around people and one of them is in that mode or in a similar mode of creativity, it sparks into you, even when it's not like the limited time that you're able to do. Usually it can extend it, it can trigger it when it's not the time to trigger or when it will take longer to trigger, where your mind can be in the creation mode, the ideation mode, the sharp mode, and you're solving problems, you're using your mind, and you're enjoying that. So it's about people who will give you and infect you with their uh, creativity, which will put you in the sharp mind space. It's you completing things and doing completions that will get you out of being stuck and into the uh, spark you into the uh, sharp mind situation or you waking up you're not in that state you try to have coffee do whatever you used to do and there is a cycle to it in your day where it usually happens but the more you extend it in that cycle of your day the more alive, the more you feel your time is used properly, well, extremely beautifully, and things are going wonderful. Did I understand correctly? You did. And uh, and that's, I think, as I'm thinking it through and listening to you, uh, you know, reflect on what I've said, it makes me even more aware of the need to be around other folks in collaboration. And right before our call, I was collaborating with uh, one of our co-founders on on something, and it was it just filled me up. It was I, I had been doing it by myself, and I was I was doing okay with it, but it wasn't. I didn't have somebody to bounce ideas off of. I wasn't able to verbalize what my thinking was with somebody else. And uh, when she came over, and we were able to collaborate together, it, it there was a special you know, a special time uh, of coming up with a, with some solutions that uh, hopefully will continue uh, after this interview. But it's uh, the value of collaboration I, for me is is key uh, to to where I'm going with my journey and in, in innovation. It's it's not a solo journey or solo path. It's really a path of of walking with others uh, in front of me and beside me and behind me. I really like that walking with people beside you in front of you and behind you but you mentioned something you said that special time that collaboration fills you up let's make sure maybe there are other places in your life where that shows up that feeling of being filled up 
Do you experience it in any other situations? I don't know. It could be jogging in the morning. It could be petting a dog. It could be walking in nature. Let's explore it to know whether the biggest avenue, of course, seems to be collaboration. But does it show up in other parts of your life whenever you're doing something else, solo or uh, any memories you had? Maybe I don't know when your daughter was born, you're, you're one of them or all of them or anything that is a similar fill you up uh, feeling? I think the thing that fills me up uh, is, and, and I call it having a joyful feeling, is when I see uh, someone that I care about enjoying a moment, and it could be any kind of moment, but it bring whatever's bringing them happiness. And when I see something good happening with others that fills me up i can just look at some even if i don't know that person i know that they're having that feeling of joy or happiness i can feel that and i that actually fills me up because it's it's just showing humanity at its finest it's showing you know why <laughs> why are we here and if it's not to feel joy and, and if it's not to be able to impart joy on others uh, then, you know, then all of a sudden you start questioning a bunch of things, but to me at least. Uh, so I think what fills me up is knowing that people are, are happy. And even though it's a difficult world to live in and some, you know, sometimes it's, you know, things are not always perfect. Um, but when everything aligns and, and somebody is experiencing that moment of, of happiness or just total elation of whatever just happened, I, I can draw energy from that and be filled with that as well. I can just look at nature and this might sound crazy, but uh, I can look, I can stare at a mountain and I can appreciate that mountain and what, what it looks like and, and how it got created and, and just think about all the, the beauty of that and how the wind blows through the trees that are on the mountain and just nature in general. Uh, so that also fills me up. You could, you could stick me all by myself in a in a place where I can just observe uh, nature happening, and I feel good about that. Now, there's there's no collaboration or anything there. I'm actually by myself, but I still have joy with it. I guess I, I I'm pretty simple, and I don't expect anything really. I try to set very low expectations so that I'm always pleasantly surprised or pleased by things that happen around me. Uh, and I don't take that for granted. I, I never want to take anybody for granted. So if I've uh, if I don't have really high expectations and somebody does something, doesn't matter what it is, I'm always ha I'm I'm excited about it, and I'm able to you know to to have joy through it as well. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, solving problems with your mind being sharp collaboration with people that extends you beyond your capabilities where there is creation, seeing someone in a joyful state where something good happens that puts them in joy, uh, appreciation of nature and how it was created and all the beauty in it. And you don't set like expectations for how people to behave, but when they go above and beyond or do something unexpected that is kind, that is good, that also all of these fill you up. Is this correct? Yes. And I'm sure there's other things that fill me up, but those are the ones at the top of the list right now. 
Yes. Tell me about though. I I see a lot of those how they're connected, but how is problem solving by itself as a piece connected to joy or to making others joyful? Well, we're working on a problem uh, with the company that uh, we started uh, three years ago. Uh, the name of the company is Koya, and it's uh, the mission of Koya is to uh, make it easy for you to show up for those you care about, even if they're on the other side of the planet. Uh, you, we can't be everywhere all at once, but we can, through technology, show up for people uh, in unique and uh, intentional ways. And that's the that's what we're doing at Koya is making it so that we could bottle up that emotional feeling, that unexpected serendipity of showing up for someone in the least likely place that can put a smile on their face and make their day from 10,000 miles away. Uh, we, as a, as a company, and also I should mention, uh, our company is co-founded by my wife and our two eldest daughters. We're all working on this passionately together. And it's that problem solving turned toward making people's day that really gets us charged and motivated uh, to do what we're doing. And I can't tell you, it, it's, you asked the question and it's exactly what we're working on and what we're devoting our time and energy to right now is creating a platform that can enable people to experience that joy and experience being seen uh, from their friends and family, regardless of time zone or distance. Uh, that really energizes us. Uh, even if we never hear their stories, just knowing that we've created something that can provide those moments fills us up. Thank you. And can you speak more about Koya for people who might not know exactly what you do? What is it about? How can people share that joy and show up in unexpected or have that serendipity in with the relationships to people who can be 10,000, 20,000 miles apart. Yeah. So in a nutshell, it's, it's a mobile application. Uh, well, there's different experiences, but I'll just speak of the mobile application today, uh, that you, you're thinking of someone, it could be a, a sibling or, a, a, a somebody that you're related to, or it could be a, somebody you're in a long distance relationship to, or a friend from college. And you haven't reached out in a while, and you'd like to really let them know that you're thinking of them, even though you're in Austin and they're in Boston. So the way Koya works is I would pick them inside the app. I'd record a little video message. Hey, I was thinking about you. I wanted to buy you a cup of coffee today. Uh, Just know that you're doing a great job. Uh, And then I can pick a place to hide that message. Uh, in, in this case, I know that my friend lives in Boston and they like to go to this one particular coffee shop. So I, I can select that coffee shop and it creates a, an invisible fence around that coffee shop. Uh, and then I can add a little gift if I'd like uh, $5 to cover the cost of that coffee. And the moment I hit send, they'll get notified right away that John has created a Koya for you to discover somewhere in Boston. Good luck finding it. And that's when the fun begins. So at that point in time, if you're just looking at the chemistry that's happening in the brain, two things have happened for the sender and the receiver. 
the sender gets a, a drop of dopamine uh, that just feels good about doing something for others. And so there's a little mini high that you get uh, for, for doing something for somebody else. The receiver, even though they don't know where this Koya is located, they then get notified that somebody was thinking of them right in that moment. Uh, and yet there's more expectation to come. You've set an expectation of something else that's that they're going to discover. So they have a, a trend of dopamine that's happening. And uh, when they actually walk into that coffee spot, they'll get a push notification uh, from the from the app saying, hey, you discovered the Koya that John left for you here. Tap to see what it is. And they tap and watch the video I left for them. And then we, we move money from the sender's PayPal or Venmo account into the receiver's account to cover the cost of the coffee, even though that's not the main reason for Koya. It just, it just adds another dimension to what we're trying to do. And they feel seen and they get the message and they have now the ability to respond with a thank you right inside the app because we've built this to be reciprocal. Uh, just giving a, a little video or audio message back saying, hey, this really made my day. I was having a tough morning and, and this just came right at the right time. And that's the serendipitous part because the sender doesn't know when the receiver is going to walk into that coffee shop and vice versa. The re receiver doesn't know to even walk into that coffee shop until they do and get the message. So it's, it's this multiple drops of dopamine that happen that really, you know, incur it, it makes you feel good uh, about what you're doing. Uh, and more more importantly, you're actually putting other people first and serving others is something that everybody wants to serve, but they don't necessarily know how. Koya makes it easy uh, to put other people first, to almost pay it forward, but do it in a fun and engaging way that that makes it uh, makes it fun to do. It's just it's hard to put the words around. It's not programmatic. It's not like somebody's telling you, "Hey, you know what? You need to be staying on top of your aunt." Or you know, when was the last time you talked to your brother? This becomes something more engaging and more fun and playful. And uh, and we're trying to remove those friction points or breaking the ice barriers. Uh, so that there's no excuses for why you don't stay connected in the first place. Because if we can stay connected with those we care about, and if everybody does this eventually, uh, the rate of depression and loneliness will start to drop, which has been at epidemic levels. Uh, and it was just exasperated by COVID. So if we can actually stay proactively engaged with those we care about and leave nobody behind and feeling alone, then at the end of the at the end of the day, that's that's our that's our longer term vision for the company is to reduce that relational poverty, uh, to to eradicate loneliness and and depression and, and other mental illnesses that come out of when people are by themselves and not seen or 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 not being thought of. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, it's like a treasure hunt of joy that helps <laughs> every person involved have more relational equity and get out of relational poverty, which will fill them up with the right chemicals that will eliminate depression, eliminate loneliness, cortisol, all that, totally in a way that is gamified, which means people will stay engaged, they will love it, they will get extra dimensions out of using it and it brings a little bit of the 
childish innocence and unconditional love into the world, which we need today, because too many people are being either too serious, too formal, or trying to control their relationships. This adds an element of just hope and happiness to everything. Did I understand it correctly? Yes, and can we use that language? Because that's fantastic to describe what Koya is uh, is all about. Of course, I'm happy to support you. You're doing absolutely amazing and great things in this world. And John, it was a privilege, an honor, a blessing, and a blissful time. And I wish you a great day. Abdulaziz, thank you so much for the time that you take to prepare and to record these and to be able to share this and have a platform to share it with others. I'm honored to have been uh, asked to be on this show with you. And I wish you all the best uh, going forward in your journey. And uh, know that I'm always available. If you have any questions or have anything you'd like to talk about, uh, please reach back out. And uh, I would enjoy that time with you. Thank you. Thank you.